Hello and welcome to the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield University in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast shares these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy today's episode. My name is Rich Schmidt. We're here with Emily Bashand at Resonance. Uh, it's May 18th, 2022. Emily, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, first biggest question to get you started is why wine? Yeah. Um, so I grew up in the restaurant industry. Um, it's hospitality is all I know. Um, I moved to Oregon in 2006. So prior to living here, I was in San Jose um, working at a pretty pretty wine-centric restaurant there. Um, I was young, so I was 21, 22 years old, and um, worked with a psalm there named Patrick Mullane, um, incredible person who was just very patient um, with, with his teachings. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember that point in my life, <clears throat> we were hosting some winemaker dinners, and um, Gary Personi actually was one of the winemakers who um, who did a dinner with us at one point, and I was just, I had like this overwhelming, like I, I met a rock star for the first time, and it was really neat and exciting to, um, to be around that, and, uh, and I just continued to, to be really interested in the wine world. Um, at that time, I sold a lot of California wine, and a little bit of imported, um, but then I was also, um, I was working at another um, restaurant as well named Campo de Bocce. I was teaching bocce lessons and <laughs> um, a little Italian place. And then um, just found myself uh, really wondering, you know, what, what my life was starting to look like uh, because it was very expensive to live in the Bay Area. Um, so I threw a dart and Portland is, uh, was, my, was, my, was my calling at that time. So I found an apartment on Craigslist and moved up here at 23, completely sight unseen, um, ready to start a new life, so all alone. Um, I totaled my car the day I was meant to move. (laughs) Uh, So I had to stay about another week to figure and sort that out, but then I arrived in January of 06, um, had to buy a new car, and had to figure out the lay of the land. Um, It was a very rainy winter. I remember just trying to explore and just finding floods and having to turn around and go another direction. Um, And I found myself in Sherwood um, at a restaurant that was opening up there. Uh, It's not around anymore, but it was named Hunter's Ridge. And I went inside and it was brand new, so all the tables and chairs were flipped upside down. They were just kind of building everything. And um, I seemed to align with a lot of the philosophies and the the foods and the wines. I was talking to a gentleman there, and uh, he, you know, he asked if I had a resume. And along the way, throughout the move, uh, something happened to my printer. Again, I'm young, and, and this was a long time ago. <laughs> and so it was only printing in turquoise ink. And so I, I shared it still. I said, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, but this is all I have with me at the day. And, um, and he made a comment that it, it would stand out, of course. And it did. Um, so I ended up getting hired there, and that man uh, is my husband today. So that was Paul. <laughs> um, and go at the time, I remember when you know I made this move to come to Oregon. I also made a commitment I would never date another kitchen guy, <laughs> and um, and met Paul and married him. Um, and so we were at Hunter's Ridge for a couple of years, 
and he encouraged me to get into the Oregon wine industry. And at that time, uh, I remember thinking that, that there was no way, this is, not, this is not my calling, I'm not a nine to five person, that's for soccer moms, I'm, I'm supposed to be at the restaurant. And, um, but he continued to encourage me and I continued to meet people, more and more people, um, and feel a little more connected. So it wasn't so much that Gary Pisoni, you know, uh, first experience, I really felt community in Oregon. Um, and so, so I did, so I got my teeth cut at Willa Kenzie. Um, where I worked there just for a little bit of time in 2008 and then later on went to Tory Moore for about a year. Um, so worked in their tasting room and started to understand more and more about the industry, about Oregon wines, about the history. Um, definitely realized it wasn't the soccer mom role that I was thinking. Um, and then uh, we had a big snowstorm in 2008. Um, and Paul and I actually also had a trip to Mexico that, during that same time. So we were, we were out for a couple weeks and then we came back and there was a snowstorm that kept the winery closed down. So the tasting was closed for a couple weeks. And then when we returned, um, I had that lovely fireside chat that nobody wants that says your hours are cut, we don't have the business, and I was devastated. I thought, well, this is, this is terrible. What am I supposed to do? I have, I mean, at this point, Paul and I, you know, we owned our house, I had a mortgage, and, um, and so I was a bit of a snob at the time, um, and I, so I left work that day. I remember I called Paul, and he says, calm down, you should call Express, call Express, and they're the job placement agency. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not working for Express, they're gonna put me on a bus and make me go build a house, <laughs> that's not what I do, I'm not a laborer, and um, so I called them, and I, I mean, looking back, I was such a snob, I, I said, you know, I don't know what you do, and I'm just looking for part-time work, my job's gonna pick up again, um, but they continued to kind of poke and prong as far as what I was after, and they said, would you be interested in a management role at a winery, and, I said, well, yes, that, that's starting to pique my interest. And so um, went through a process with them to find out it was Stoller. And so I uh, interviewed with Kathy Stoller um, and was, was presented a, a position there to oversee um, their consumer operations. And so that was in 2009, um, where at that point, we were, I think it was just open by appointment only, so it was like just on the weekends. Um, and I figured if I had to be there every day, I would flip the sign and just start making it happen. And so I was there for just about 10 years. Um, and uh, I was very fortunate for my time there to be able to work with a company that, um, to really build the model, I guess, um, for just perpetual growth, to see what we could do, because they continued to grow and grow and grow, and uh, I was part of building the tasting room and just the entire uh, consumer experience. Um, and then, uh, I don't remember what year it was, maybe, I guess 2017, um, I was reached out to by an industry colleague about this this project here at Resonance. And at first they just said, you know, it's, it's really not for me. I don't see myself working for another wine brand in the area. Um, I was really, again, I was doing great at Stoller and I was had a lot of responsibility um, there. Um, but then at the same time, I was also asked to go speak um, at a conference in Walla Walla. And it was around like, I think it was like DTC, 
uh, success stories or something. I don't remember exactly what it was about. Um, but I was so nervous to do so. And it was, I had like an hour or an hour and a half to speak. Or maybe looking back, it was like 20 minutes. It, just, it felt like a really long time to, to be in front of people and in front of an audience. And so I, um, I drove up there, and I, I was with a colleague of mine, uh, and we, we went on, and it was just, I mean, as soon as I started speaking, the entire crowd was like, excuse me, can you speak up? And I was just instantly like, oh my god, I'm failing, I'm ruining this. I cleared my voice and just kind of muscled through it, and then at the end, um, it was very empowering. So, so many people were just um, saying, thank you, I learned so much, tell me more, and it felt great. I was on top of the world, and I felt like, wow, I really did something, and I, and I am smart, and I am, you know, I have something to share. And so, I was in my hotel room that night, and I sent an email to the, the person about this role again, and I just said, you know, I am interested. Like, what if I did shake things up, and what if I did work for another brand, and, mm -hmm. and what would that look like? Um, and so I was connected then with the president um, of Stol or excuse me, of Resonance, um, and the entire French team, and continued talking to them for a couple months about the vision for this brand and um, and what it could look like if I were to join the team. And um, and Guillaume, the winemaker here, he had just arrived maybe six months to a year before I started talking with the with the team, and so. Um, his accent was still very strong. Uh, and I remember talking to him one day. We were going to meet up to just taste barrels. And we were on the phone. And I remember hanging up and thinking, I have no idea where I'm supposed to go. I have no idea what he just said. Um, so I confirmed with a text. And you know, I said, oh, sorry, my phone was cutting out. And just tried to like, make, make it my, my issue. But um, we met up, and just every time I had an interaction with anybody, I just felt this is where I need to be. This is exactly where I'm supposed to be for my next phase. Um, so I started here in 2018, and um, this hilltop was just a hilltop. So the, the tasting room, nothing was here. Um, and, uh, and then it began with this project. So, um, and there's a million stories I can share along the way. But I remember specifically when we broke ground for this project, um, there's all these beautiful oak trees that are outside. And they have, I mean, 200 years of history. And so I remember asking the contractors, I said, you know, when are we going to break ground? I'd love to be here just to document it. And um, he said, oh, don't worry about it. It's going to be a couple weeks. We have to knock down a bunch of trees first. And I thought, oh, shoot, we can't do that. And so. I called Guillaume and we both came up here and we said, no, no, we can't do this. And so many of these trees had like those pink ribbons around them ready to take down. Um, and luckily we spoke to them and just, you know, I mean, really just said no. It really wasn't a whole lot of negotiation. <laughs> um, but we had to move the building back a little bit on the plans and push back the project just a little bit. Um, but to preserve this space. <laughs> and it's such an incredible property. Um, I'm sure you felt it coming up. but. There's like this dirt road and those trees that just kind of make that tunnel, and there's mystery. And then you arrive to the um, the parking lot, and there's this building here, and and it looks like it belongs here. It looks like it's been here. And then as you continue to come forward, there's this incredible view. So you have no idea just driving up that you're going to experience the layers, um, and it's uh, it's really special. Um, and working with the French team on this building, um, you know, they're a very humble family, and they 
did not want to build a big chateau with the drapey curtains and, and what we think of when we think of working with perhaps a French family. Um, they wanted to build something that belongs in Oregon, that makes sense to this space and that is going to, to stand here for many years to come. Um, so, so we put it together. So all of the barn wood that we have is all uh, reclaimed from the Northwest, from different um, uh, cover bridges and barns. Um, and then the inside, as you can see, it's a, it's a very modern feel. Um, but the idea is, you know, Jadot. So Maison Louis Jadot has been around for almost 180 years. So this is the first project outside of Burgundy. So why not create something now that we're a part of that will also last for the next 200 years? That will become something um, really strong down the road. So that's my my awesome. my why wine, I guess. I didn't really speak a lot about wine, but and I guess that makes sense because to be honest, I feel like my purpose in the wine industry, like there's a lot more business side to it mm -hmm. than um, I mean, Oregon's beautiful and has of course Pinot Noir and Chardonnay that are fantastic varietals and very approachable. Um, but I think I, I I really was interested in my younger years when I was like selling it more directly to the consumer and then as I grow I grew within the industry and into the business more that became more of my passion mm -hmm. um, yeah mm -hmm. well, I'm gonna talk about that because that's very interesting to me because that's kind of a relatively new phenomenon in Oregon wine so I'm right. interested in the business side we'll come back to that so but I'm curious about sort of for you sort of learning wine and learning about wine both sort of uh, on a sensory level, but also on a like business level. So tell, describe your kind of wine education process for me and at what point it became something you were interested enough in to pursue to the, like, the level you have. Yeah, um, you know, I guess going back to that restaurant in California, um, the village it was called, um, I just, I really liked, so, you know, again, being in restaurants since I was 15, um, there was more to it than, than just kind of the service. Like the wine added a really cool um, layer of, of uh, conversation with people. And being young in that industry, you know, it, there were several times when people would kind of uh, poo-poo my opinion as well. I mean, there was several times when I was told, oh, can you send someone else over? Or perhaps you don't know what we're talking about. And I, I would politely always say, of course, no problem. Um, I remember always telling myself, well, I have this job for a reason, but okay. <laughs> and, um, and then I do recall when I started at Willa Kenzie and my age at the time, I mean, I was 25 maybe, um, instantly being behind a taste room bar, I had respect. I mean, people would ask me questions as if I was their same age or, or, or had a you know, plethora of knowledge. Um, and that was really nice to just kind of feel like I'm on the same grounds. Um, I recall a couple years after that, when I was at Stoller, there was a lot of talk in the Valley just about how millennials feel as consumers. And I remember thinking, let's do what we can to make them feel comfortable because who, I mean, who are we to judge? If a young person's coming out, um, that's their interest, right? Um, so I guess I'd be a little bit more the business side, but um, yeah, I think um, I think I just like the level of the like the knowledge and the, the the interest, the mystery around wine and learning about it and selling it, and of course, then you know, really working with food, mm -hmm. um, and it's just always been a big part of our lives, and of course, with my husband. Um, it's very much our lifestyle is to share, like break bread, share, just entertain people and, and be around a table and discuss food and wine. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful, um, 
marriage between the two, which is good for good company. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say I remember I was probably maybe 23 when I actually started understanding it. So a lot of it up front was just kind of the salesy, like I can do this, I can just kind of talk about it and make it happen. Um, but I remember, I don't remember what bottle it was, but it was a bottle of Tempranillo um, from Rioja that I was enjoying and finally I was like making the connections. I was actually tasting characteristics. And I was like, wow, this is, this is I, I taste the vanilla and I, now I'm seeing what the American oak does. And it, it was actually coming into, um, to place for me where before it was all just kind of the scripts that I would just sell. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was pretty nice. Um, and then beyond that, uh, I did take some WSCT courses um, that were really informative and great as far as the book work. But truly, um, I did some traveling um, back in 2007. Um, I went to Europe for a month and uh, have been back since several times. And I think really when you're in the place is really, I mean, just you're able to absorb so much more and have such a great understanding of, um, of what you're working with. Um, and of course that was, you know, I still have a, a huge passion for European wines and so maybe that's what helps there. But I guess here in Oregon being in the place, it's the same. I mean, you're, you're around, um, I mean, we're literally, <laughs> we live in a vacation. And so we're around this product all the time. And it's, it's pretty amazing to be able to learn firsthand from just what we have outside. You talk about being in California and basically having California wines and mm-hmm. some import wines and uh, not really having much familiarity with Oregon wines at that point. So as you came to Oregon and started to discover what were your first impressions of the wines here and mm-hmm. of the people you started to meet in the industry? Yeah, so I was pretty blown away. Um, I had no idea that Oregon at that time was already so big. Um, I had only known of maybe like a couple brands. Like I remember like Bethel Heights and Erath. It was just like a couple brands that I knew of. Um, so coming here and realizing that there was so much, it was pretty amazing um, to start exploring that. <clears throat> and then um, again, working at that initial restaurant in Sherwood and so many winemakers would come in there um, and winery owners and just starting to really feel the level of, again, like that connection of we're all human um, and then bringing in their wines and then being proud to see their wines on the list. And uh, that was pretty empowering. I really enjoyed being just around, um, around the camaraderie of the Oregon wine industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and now working in the wines, not so much the restaurant, um, at the end of the day, I mean, we all share the same clientele. And so there's not a whole lot of competition between brands because we're sending our clients to each other and then they go to the restaurant for dinner and then they stay at X hotel. And um, we all see the same people. And so I love that. I love that it's not an area where we feel we need to protect the time that the customer's here and they're our client. I mean, it's they're our clients. They're everyone's mm-hmm. clients. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it feels good. I mean, at the end of the day, this is, you know, we work in an industry where um, it's pretty powerful. I mean, people come here to, for an hour, an hour and a half, two hours to learn about the brands, to taste these wines, to um, talk with the servers, be educated, to experience the views, the scenery, everything. And then they leave here and 
we as, as the you know, hospitality team get to accept so much of that. I mean, they say, what a beautiful view. These wines were fantastic. Yeah, so I mean, when a, when a guest leaves and they, they, I mean, first they say thank you. Thank you for everything. This was a beautiful experience. These wines were lovely. I have the best charcuterie plate in the valley, the view, I mean, everything. It's like, they just thank you, thank you, thank you. And so it feels good. I mean, at the end of the day, we just came here and spent, again, that hour and a half of time with just this couple um, or this group, whatever, and they leave and they tell us thank you as if this is ours, right? And as if we made the wine and created the view. And it's like, how cool that we get to walk away with that feeling every day. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's our responsibility, I feel, to respect back to the brand, to share those with your winemaker and, and take care of the space that we're responsible for because we're very fortunate to, to be here. Um, every day <laughs> um, experiencing it. So it's not, you know, just a job you're coming to. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful environment, of course, but it's such a feel-good mm -hmm. role. Um, and, um, and then, you know, there's, there's a huge amount of tourism that comes here, but also there's a decent amount of locals. So we've found that even our wine club here, um, we're probably 60% local. So they become friends and family too, right? It's like, you, you know them and you know when their kids are graduating or when they got a new puppy and I mean all these things. It's like there's so much community in the Oregon wine industry. Um, and maybe in other industries, I, I just never, I've never lived in them, but I love so much here how there's just so much looking out for each other. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and we experienced that a lot, of course, during, um, during the pandemic, just on the restaurant side of things, just people really wanting to still support um, during these hardships. I mean, there's so much support out here um, from everyone. So let's talk about your time at Stoller a little bit because that's obviously pretty formative for you. Yeah. So um, you talked about kind of perpetual growth and being there while Stoller kind of mm -hmm. blossomed into what it's become. Tell me about some of the kind of notable steps along the way, both for you and for the brand as you were a part of that growth and sort of the role you played and, and sort of takeaways from that. Yeah, so, um, gosh, I mean, again, I started at Stoller when it was, it was very small. Um, their production at the time was maybe, maybe 2,500 cases, if I remember correctly. Um, and, and again, you know, I was, I was pretty hungry in life at that time. And so I remember just feeling, I'm here, let's, let's get people in here. And, and, um, Gosh, I just remember something that came to mind. It was like during the time where they were, they were there was still like a, um, what's it called when um, people, or like a petition, when mm -hmm. people sign their names. We had a petition out for the bypass. Mm -hmm. And so this was like a long time ago. Um, and uh, we're like, hey, would this drive traffic or pull traffic and just trying to go through all of those um, thoughts. But um, anyhow, so, I was there during that time and we definitely, the tasting room itself was beautiful. I mean, Stoller is a very, very modern, um, you know, company, their buildings are all very modern, but in the tasting room, there wasn't running water. I mean, in that physical tasting room. And so we would bring the glasses back to another room in a little basket and we had our little oyster crackers out every day. I mean, it was just such a different experience. Um, and so we continue to challenge ourselves and, uh, and grow, of course, try new events. Um, I mean, just very simple things as far as let's do a pickup party in the spring and just see what happens. And so we were starting to, to kind of burst at the seams of what that tasting room could hold. 
And so we designed a new tasting room um, and opened that in 2012. Um, that, and that was a really cool project to be a part of as well, not only building and designing that space, but um, you know, we got a lot of pushback from the county, or not the county, but um, people mm -hmm. in the area because there was thoughts that we were building this big event center on farmland and this should be agricultural use. And you know, of course, we really respect that. Um, but the, the real problem is that we didn't have any space to host our guests. And, um, and so that was neat for me. I mean, I'm sure not looking back, not neat for the brand at the time, but neat for me to experience going to court during these appeals and really just kind of putting ourselves out there of why we, we really wanted to move forward. Um, and so luckily we were finally granted approval and did. Um, and, um, and I was just in a position at that time where I had a lot of responsibility and trust. Mm -hmm. um, so as I continued kind of throwing the noodle at the wall, as far as what if we did this, what if we did that, things started working and happening mm -hmm. um, and we, I remember, I don't remember who, it must have been a taster manager first is who um, I hired and then after that it was the club manager and then the events coordinator and then a chef, I mean it just continued to, to become something and, um, and it all happened, I mean even though it was over 10 years, in my mind it was all very fast because we were moving very fast um, and we would do so many events, I mean 2,500 people, no problem, we'll just put that on the next day, do another thousand, I mean it was, it was wild but it was really cool. Um, to push ourselves just to see what we could put on and um, and there was a team that was that was there so that just felt the same energy so the culture everybody was really aligned with we can do this and let's just see what happens and and go for it and we continued feeling these these incredible successes at the end of it um, and so it was it was incredible it was really good um, during the end of my time there um, we were looking at building another tasting room on the property. Um, and I think that's probably where I started to shake a little bit. I didn't tell anyone, but I was just like, wow, this is big, this is huge. Um, and so I left before overseeing that come about, and I know it, it is there today. Um, but you know, when I look back sometimes at my time at Stoller, I'm so grateful to be able to learn everything and to see all of that happen. Um, but I also think I just like, kind of like lit a match and walked away you know? <laughs> because it just continued to get so big and then I, I kind of slid out. So, um, but it was my time to go. It was just, it was my time to come here and what I'm taking here is a lot of the experiences that I learned as far as we can grow and we can build a culture and having a culture is so imperative to building a brand. Um, having everyone kind of buy into uh, we're all in this together. And, and if it doesn't work, we'll, we'll change our mind and we'll figure it out. But um, really working with the team. Um, and then there's things that I'll leave behind, you know, and that probably is maybe we don't need to do an event for 2,500 people. I mean, that was really cool to experience at the time, but it is a lot of work and a lot of time. And at the end of the day, um, you know, maybe it was cool for a year to try all these things, but maybe not year after year. Mm -hmm. Do they really make sense? And is the profit really there? I mean, we're creating an experience for people to have a great time, but um, it costs a lot of money to put on an event like that. So, um, yeah, so I'd say coming here, there's um, a fair bit that would stay at Stoller, um, but there's a fair bit that would come. So, I mean, we here, 
we're, we're not um, only taking appointments, we accept walk-ins as well. We clearly have the space. Um, and I know a lot of brands, you know, during COVID, of course, were appointment only and continue to go that same route. Of course, it could be staffing situations or maybe just easier on the business. I mean, this entire tasting room experience has changed where it used to be very much bar service and now it's a seated experience. And so that's a different animal to just jump into. Um, I believe having my restaurant kind of backbone um, has been really helpful in calming the team until we can do this. Um, because, you know, again, we're, we're just so lucky that we have all of this space. Um, and we found that our our table averages, everything is up. Mm -hmm. Everything is higher now with these seated experiences. Um, and I think even our servers probably enjoy going out and talking to these people individually rather than just hosing people down with rosé or whatever it is. Being that, you know, bar atmosphere sometimes. Um, so, yeah, so it's definitely evolved. Um, but I, I'm happy that the team that we have are, again, are also on board to just say we can still accept people because we have the space and why not? Um, and I think that the clientele base, you know, there, there's been a little bit of a, a growing, um, a learning around that as far as I think first the, the guests were still coming in with expectations of, you know, they're here, they have a table, uh, which as they should, but I think now We've all experienced having to wait a little bit longer and to be grace, you know, it's like offer everyone grace. Um, so that's been helpful too. I think just like more of an even understanding between the client and the the salesperson. We'll talk a little bit about sort of uh, the idea of sort of confidence. You, you talked about you, you didn't have a lot of tasting room experience when you were hired into this mm -hmm. management role at a fast growing company. So you had a lot on your plate pretty mm -hmm. quickly. Tell me about the sort of the leadership confidence. At what point did you feel pretty comfortable with all the things on your plate and, and the ability to start kind of building that team and building that culture? God, I don't even know if I still feel comfortable with it. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think, you know, maybe, maybe it's just as I was mentioning when I was younger and I first um, was uh, selling wine and I just, I didn't know what I was doing. I, I had no idea what I was doing. I just did it and I kind of went through the motions and started liking it. Um, and so perhaps the same when I started jumping into leadership. I mean, I knew I could do it. Um, and actually, uh, I do remember now, um, I remember reaching out to Angelina uh, Faye, who, um, I don't know where she is today. I don't want to say the brand because I'll, I'll get it wrong. Um, but she worked at Willa mm -hmm. She was, I believe, their wine club manager. Um, when I worked there as well. So I remember reaching out to her and telling her that, you know, I'm up for this new position. Tell me everything I need to know. <laughs> and so I got a crash course in uh, just like making UPS labels or whatever. And so I, I do remember actually sitting in my interview with Kathy Stoller. I'm like, oh, I'm fluent in Worldship. And I mean, it, it's just kind of, I talked the talk, so I had to walk the walk. <laughs> and so, um, and I found that I was good at it. You know, um, people did respond to me and, um, it became something that I was thriving off of when I think about work when I'm not at work. And um, it's something that I want to continue to improve and be mindful of. Um, and again, when I mentioned, you know, we all share the same clientele, I mean, we have a restaurant. So it's like, 
we're sending people back and forth, and even if it's not us, like these people are, are coming back and forth, so how can we continue to better mm -hmm. everything around us? And we, we live in downtown Newburgh. Um, we live here, so I mean, if we create a good environment and um, industry, I mean, it helps our value of our home, everything, <laughs> everything. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know, I can't say, I can't say that I went into it with a whole lot of confidence. I certainly didn't have an ego. Um, I think I'm just naturally some sort of a meat eater. I just had to figure it out. Mm -hmm. um, and I've always been very comfortable with that. So, um, you know, I, I joke sometimes one of my natural uh, superpowers is just knowing how to get things done. So we, we will figure it out and we'll find a way. And um, I don't know, it's, just, it's worked out. Mm -hmm. Talk about building a team and building a culture then. Uh, both you've done it now at two different places. Um, yeah. What do you look for as you're hiring, training people and, and building that? And what kind of, what is the sort of the culture, if you had to hone it down, what is the culture you're trying to instill? Yeah, I think, um, I guess something I look for is just extreme flexibility. Um, and not just with a schedule, but just with a mindset, you know, knowing that um, even though that the Oregon wine industry has been here for, quite some years, um, you know, we are all still continuing to grow and evolve and, and we do evolve quick. Um, and I think just being open, having an open mind that, um, you know, sometimes it will be a very standard Monday through Friday, nine to five. Sometimes it's gonna be a lot of weekends and evenings um, all the time on the holidays. <laughs> so, um, but I try really hard to lead by example. Um, I mean, I'm right there with everybody on the Memorial Day and you know, it's those all hands on deck. And I, I really appreciate doing that too. I wanna be here with the front line saying we've got this and we can take it on. Um, and, and it's fun to celebrate those wins at the end of the day. Um, so I think as far as building the culture, it's that. So celebrating our wins for sure. Um, feeling comfortable being vulnerable with each other as well and knowing that it is a safe place to say, hey, I'm not in it today, um, you know, and, and I wanna respect that back. Um, because I want to assume it won't be abused, you know? It's like we are all adults. Um, and so, um, yeah, just really kind of being there for one another um, and understanding uh, and knowing when it's go time. So, and, and that we're on stage. Um, and then I guess, you know, an ask that you can't really ask, but it's just that, just kind of knowing too that the team is on when they're not on. So they are representing the brand and the industry, no matter where they are, it is a very small area. Um, and so just being mindful of that. Um, and so, but there's so many folks that are out in this area, even though staffing is hard right now, there's still so many folks that are here that are here for life and that have such a passion. And it's really neat to see um, that happening and even, you know, the newer generations that continue to have an interest and in coming into the industry. It's, it's pretty neat to, mm -hmm. to see it continue to evolve. Even the younger, younger folks starting these wine brands, mm -hmm. I mean, just really modern, fun things that they're putting on. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's neat to see the industry growing. I will definitely come back to that in a little bit. So I'm curious to hear your perspective on it. But I want to talk about hospitality a little bit, obviously. Mm -hmm. but been, like I said, you grew up in hospitality. Mm -hmm. You've been in hospitality. Um, tell me uh, hospitality philosophy. What, what does hospitality mean to you? Uh, and how has that perhaps changed in your time in the industry? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Um, hospitality is incredibly important to me. Um, it, 
I just feel like it's, you know, opening our doors um, like we would to our house, right? And so it's something that I always feel like if we can, we should. <laughs> and there's a lot of um, situations in life where maybe you call somebody and they're like, oh, I'm sorry, we can't, have, you can't do that. And it's like, well, yes, you can. So I, I, like, like, I make magic happen. I know you can do it. And so I, I just feel like when we can, we should. And so again, that's where I go to. Um, you know, we accept walk-ins here. Um, and even if we're busy, it's like there's still a way to say, I'm sorry, we're, we're fully committed at the moment. However, if I can pour you a glass of wine, feel free to walk around and make yourself comfortable, no problem. I mean, you're mm -hmm. still saying yes, but no, right? Mm -hmm. And I just think it's really important to not punish somebody for driving to your business and walking inside. And um, I mean, I think we've all experienced before coming to a restaurant and you, the, as you're putting your front foot inside the front door, they're like, I'm sorry, we're closed. And it's like, I didn't even get a chance to <laughs> touch your floor yet. And so um, there's those hard stops. Uh, it's, it's, it's nothing I want to create. Mm -hmm. um, there was a time where I went to Steamboat in Southern Oregon um, with Paul. We were invited down to do, he was a guest chef. And um, it's a pretty remote location. Um, I'm at Umqua. And, um, we arrived and they were closed down. But the way that this server was with us was so amazing. She, I mean, we, we drove, I mean, what was it? Maybe like a five hour drive or something. But we arrived and we get inside and we're hungry. Um, and our entire car's packed with all this stuff that we're gonna be cooking all weekend. Um, so we had a lot of work to do, so unload and what have you. But anyhow, um, she says, you know, we're closed. I'm so sorry, but if I can make you a couple sandwiches to take back to the cottage, I'd be happy to. And I was like, wow, that is so cool. Because she can. Like she could have just said sorry, which a lot of people do, um, but she chose to offer us just a simple sandwich. And like that was so amazing. Um, and that's something that I'll always really think about. And it resonates with me because I wanna be able to offer the same for people. So um, yeah, and it, it's just part of who we are. Um, I remember another time actually when we first opened the restaurant, uh, Paul and I were sitting out on the porch on a day that we were closed and we were just kind of having some rosé and like, wow, we did it. We opened a restaurant, this is insane. And people kept stopping by and we politely just said, we're sorry, we're actually closed today. Um, and then finally uh, a family came by. It was this a man and a woman and their two daughters and um, same, they were looking for somewhere to go. and. We did have a couple glasses of wine at this time, but we said, we're sorry, there's you know, not a whole lot of place in the area that we're especially kid friendly, but um, we're like, we're just getting ready to raid the fridge and go home, you're welcome to come with us. And we invited these strangers to our house um, and they took us up on this offer. And um, of course we told them that we were the, the owners of the restaurant. And I remember I was riding my bicycle to my house and I had like a chef knife like on my handlebars. <laughs> and I was like, oh, they, they're probably gonna think we're gonna murder them. but. We were just riding home with, you know, the basket of salmon and whatever, and it turned out it was actually a winemaker from um, Washington, I think Walla Walla, and I can't remember the producer. Um, it was this French guy and his wife. They were down here for a seminar they were doing, um, and their daughters were maybe like four and five years old, but we just cooked far too much food, had way too much Washington wine that night. Um, but it was just the coolest. It's like, this is what life's about, is being able to, open our doors and just, you know, be be in hospitality always. Um, it feels, again, it feels good. Mm -hmm. it, it really feels right. Um, how I think it's changed, I think COVID, unfortunately, um, even though we've all had to respect these guidelines and boundaries and um, 
protocols, I think unfortunately it's really empowered the uh, authoritative person um, to just be proud of their roles almost. And so I've just found there's so many like, you can't do this, you can't do that, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so that's been really challenging to see happen. Um, uh, and even coming out of COVID, and I've tried really hard, I've really challenged myself to not place any judgment because none of us have been through this before. And so we're all just taking our own internal lead mm -hmm. on what to do. Um, but I mean, even today in today's world, you know, we feel like COVID's kind of gone a little bit and there's still um, so many rules. Like we don't accept groups of six or more. We don't do this. And um, for me, it's kind of sad to be honest. I mean, not that I want to be the place that has the, the quote unquote bachelor parties or whatever, but it's still like, why? Why did we just completely change everything? Because maybe there still is a group of eight people who want to come out or this, you know, I don't know. It's just kind of sad to see all these rules in place still. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm hoping that um, that that will soften over time still. Um, or or I, I don't know, maybe it won't. But um, again, I just don't want to give those hard stops. I don't want to I don't want to treat the people that choose to get on a plane from Connecticut and come to the Willamette Valley, I want to offer them the Willamette Valley. I want this to be their takeaway in wine country. And so I hope that, you know, collectively as an industry, we still can welcome people in um, without saying welcome, but here's our rules. You can't do this, you can't do that. You can't have your dogs, you can't have your picnics. It's like, if we're gonna say we can't, let's like offer what we can, I guess, and just ways that still kind of soften that. Um, but I do see a lot of that changing. Um, you know, I also, I was talking to somebody the other day about, you know, all the table tents that we see in restaurants now that say like, please be patient and please be kind. And it's kind of sad that we're at a point where we have to ask our guests to like calm down. <laughs> but, and then we, we ask so often, we have to like put it in print, right? And so, but she made a really good point. She was like, I think even the clients, like we have to change and we have to offer grace and we have to understand that maybe, maybe like they do in Spain, like there just might be gaps of the day where the business is not open anymore because we can't staff it and we need to rest so we can provide that, that genuine hospitality mm -hmm. without these environments that are just, I mean, people are maxed and stressed and, um, yeah, it's interesting. I I go to Dutch Brothers often, and I used to um, be really bothered by uh, you know just their overexcited sort of uh, behaviors when you arrive there. I'm like, wow, I haven't even had my coffee yet, and they're just like on overload. Um, but anymore, I actually really love going there because they're so positive, no matter what. They're in a great mood, and they're always like, oh, you got a new car? How are you doing today? You're going to work? Where do you work? And they're really happy. Whereas you go to maybe the grocery store or somewhere else and you'll ask, how's your day? And they're like, oh, I get off in 15 minutes, it'll be better. I'm like, oh, sorry, I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. So I've changed my mind on like, wow, I mean, the people at Dutch Bros have it. Like they're, they're very positive and great. Um, but uh, yeah, so I guess if anything, in my mind today where hospitality has shifted is I just think it's really, unfortunately, by having to abide by all these rules through COVID, it's allowed a lot of people to kind of hold on to them and keep them. And I just, I really wish that we can like let go a little bit mm -hmm. and create experience again. And, um, and just welcoming environments because that's what we all built. I mean, there are so many incredible tasting rooms and views and we, 
you know, there's a lot of money that's put into the furnishings, I mean, everything. So we should use it and mm -hmm. let people enjoy it. Mm -hmm. um, Similar question from kind of the other side about customer expectation. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, as a customer myself, I know my yeah. expectations have changed as I've grown older and I've grown, you know, I'm curious about from your perspective how you've seen customer expectations change. You mentioned kind of from the bar to the seated experience as, as one kind of example of that. What are customer expectations, how have they changed uh, and what do they kind of look like now to you uh, as, a, as someone who's working with them every day? Yeah, I think it's getting better, to be honest. Um, I mean, there was a rough patch there for a minute, but it was it was pretty short um, as far as, you know, when we were on, like, restrictions and how many people we could have. And, um, you know, I think one thing, when, when COVID first happened, everybody put out the same email that said, we're going to make sure that our... our um, our staff is most important and the customers are most important and our place will be cleaned and you know we, we all put up the exact same email but it's like we have to stand up to that mm -hmm. and so during these times of the restrictions and a lot of customers not really understanding you know why they couldn't get in I mean that was part of it is we put this promise out there I mean we, we have to really stand by it and so I think it, there was a rough patch for a minute um, where, you know, we've had people say, well, can't you just get us in? We, we need to be there at one. It's just three of us. Like, I understand there's three, but we only have so many tables. And before, we could have said, sure, you might have to stand at the bar or feel free to grab a seat if it's available. But now it's like, it, it's been interesting to almost um, try to get the customer to see that this is like a restaurant now. Mm -hmm. Like, there's literally only so many seats in a restaurant. You wouldn't sit there and ask them where you're gonna sit. And so it's kind of the same thing. It was like, we don't have that standing style atmosphere anymore. Um, but I would say, I feel like that was pretty short lived. I feel like people are just kind of buying in now mm -hmm. to, um, again, the appointments and the seating uh, experiences. So we actually did, uh, maybe it was a few months ago, we tried to go back to the old, um, the old way of hosting a, um, an event where we had like the tasting stations where people would arrive, we poured them a little glass of wine and then they would then mm -hmm. go to the different pouring stations. And everyone just would come in and they would just sit down. They just found a seat and they sat. And we're like, oh, oh no, like what do we do here? And so of course, you know, we would run over and pour wines and we would encourage them still, you know, please feel free to, to visit the other tasting stations when you can. We'll come over when we can, but um, just try to really draw that line that we're not doing this sort of experience. Um, but they would just sit and sit and sit. And so it told us, okay, this is what they're after. That's what they wanna do. And so again, I cannot be grateful enough for the fact that when we built this tasting room, we put so many seating pods in it. So we were prepared for, the, for what we had no idea. Um, and so that's just that we've, evolved into that format and so if anything um, we've actually added chairs to our bar now so we don't even assume it's a, it's a standing bar anymore <laughs> we just added a couple different groupings of chairs and now we have more we have bar seating which again is fun at a restaurant um, so it's it's been interesting to see the customer kind of uh, adapt as well um, but I think, you know, for the most part, we're pretty lucky. I'd say, I mean, probably every, every tasting room has experienced that group of Texans that come in with their demands, but uh, it's, it is what it is. <laughs> what about from the kind of the <clears throat> expectations in terms of um, 
server knowledge or 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 or, or expected conversation like are, are more people are more people more people coming in now expecting a, a higher level of discourse or are the have the customers largely remained the same over the years um i don't know that i've seen a whole big difference to be honest um i might say that it's been a bit of the same uh I mean, of course, you know, every every group you have, you kind of read them. I mean, some of them are just out for them, like with themselves, and and that's fine. Um, a lot of the club members, they genuinely come here to visit with the staff members, um, as well as enjoy the wines. But I mean, we have several people that when they make their reservation, they'll request a certain staff member or inquire if Guillaume will be here that day. Or I mean, they they want to see their family, and so that's pretty special. It's pretty neat, um, and. Um, we try to staff accordingly so our team can have that, that, that time with everybody to um, not only just pour the wines and educate them on um, our current flight, but, but genuinely be there to, to, to visit with them, of course, and, um, and entertain them. So um, yeah, I don't know though if it's really changed. I feel like even 10 years ago, it's like the people that were still coming out you just find connections with, and you, you continue. I mean, I'm to be honest, I feel like probably half of my friends on Facebook are club members <laughs> it's just over, from over the years. You know, you just really make these connections with, with, um, with your community. You mentioned a couple of times you talked about the restaurant, obviously, uh, mm -hmm. that you and, you and Paul own uh, recipe. Mm -hmm. uh, tell me about uh, the kind of the, the parallel. Obviously, both, you're both working with a lot of different people, working with a lot of different communities. Working with wine, um, are you seeing a lot of the same things uh, in your kind of day-to-day -day experiences? Yeah, yeah, we are. So um, we definitely, so like right now, for instance, I was, when I gave you the tour, I was letting you know that we just have so many inquiries for like um, corporate outings right now. Mm -hmm. And it feels foreign because it's been a few years since this has happened, um, but they're just all pouring in, which is amazing. But um, it's the same at the restaurant. So people are seeing that as also a meeting space of can we rent the upstairs or can we, you know, what can we do? Um, so that's been kind of interesting to see mm -hmm. kind of fire up a little bit and maybe something worth looking into of this could be something to, to really market and put ourselves out there that we can host and accommodate um, more than just people coming after, you know, the tasting or food experience, mm -hmm. um, but it's also meeting spaces. Um, and then I would say, I would say probably, I mean, against the same clientele, so looking at a lot of the similarities as far as um, just kind of groups and then, I mean, what they're after, of course, when they go to the restaurant, 99% of folks will drink the wines that they've tasted and they've, they've um, visited, the taste rooms they've visited um, with their foods. And, um, and the foods, of course, complement a lot of the, the Pinot Noirs and Chardonnays. Um, but yeah, I would say overall, there's, they're pretty connected. Um, and people also like that. I mean, not that I, I, well, I don't really work with the public so much these days, but I tend to not put myself out there. I'm like, oh, you should go to recipe. Um, but it is interesting, like when you do throw it out there, like people do love that connection. They're like, oh, I was just there last night. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. And it's a little incestuous in this valley. Like everybody's connected to everyone else. Um, but it makes them feel like they became a local, mm -hmm. right? So which is, which is good. So we are inviting them into our space. So you mentioned kind of the, the revelatory moment for you in terms of wanting to come here, wanting to try something different, mm -hmm. take on a new role. 
So tell me about the idea of kind of the sort of the startupness of this and having it from scratch. Uh, what were some of the the biggest your, the biggest roles for you in the kind of the early years, and um, what how did you sort of feel about how the process went? Yeah, so it went pretty good. So we are um, so Guillaume and myself work very closely together. He was here. Um, already when I joined the project. And then a lot of the team is dispersed. So we have a lot of the team in France, and we have a, um, our president um, is in California. Um, and so there's, it, the startup part of it has been really fun. Um, I mean, probably the first month that I was here, um, Guillaume and I were at a guest house just putting together furniture, uh, just waiting for the arrival of the French team to come. And so it was very random. Um, you know, again, like uh, activating an address, buying a post box and having it installed, and then having to move it because it wasn't close enough to the road for the postman. And I mean, just all the things that, that we went through um, has been really, really, really fun, to be honest, um, just to, to continue saying we'll figure it out and mm -hmm. let's let's you know be okay with it, and so um, during um, during all of that, we did great working together. The team would all come. We would have you know our big um, like the executive meetings and such, and really really business focused. So it wasn't just so much building the furniture, but really starting the business. Um, and then when they left, and we opened the tasting room in June of nineteen. Um, eight months later, COVID happened. And so, um, so that was an interesting time. And I remember speaking to Guillaume maybe, I don't know, six, eight months into COVID and kind of excited about it. You know, I was like, we are really fortunate right now to be the on-site. We're, we're, we're running this brand. We're building this brand. And we have so much trust in us with what we're choosing to do with the daily operations. I mean, do we go with the curbside pickup? Do we send all the staff home? Like, what, what do we do? And, mm -hmm. and that was on our lap, and, and we had all the backing of the entire team for us to continue um, figuring it out. And so that was a pretty exciting time, honestly. I mean, of course, it was stressful, and you don't know if you're making the wrong decision, but, um, you know, just as I was really trying to practice to not place judgment on anybody else, I was hoping that they, too, would just trust that we were doing what felt right. Mm -hmm. um, so we did. So we continued to go with the flow and opened and closed and opened and closed. And um, uh, I mean, during the time where we only had outdoor seating, I, I don't even remember. And I want to say that was like in the winter of 2020. Mm -hmm. So we really didn't have like a big clientele base yet. I mean, we're still so new. So we opted to not get a, a tent outside. And we thought, well, if we have these really rainy days and people come up, we'll host them at the winery under the harvest porch because that's a built-in cover. And so we'll save the expense. And so there was a lot of like every day figuring out what today's gonna look like. <laughs> um, and I mean, luckily we weren't you know, terribly busy in the summer, but we did have people come up and it was surprising sometimes. And we had these diehard Oregonians who were ready to come out and still do something. So it was, it was fun. Um, and so I think, you know, as a startup role during those times, um, just knowing that I had the flexibility, knowing that um, the team was leaning on me and, and trusted in, in my decisions was was pretty empowering for me to just move forward with the confidence I needed to keep the team settled, um, you know. And when I say the team, I meant more the on-site team here. Like, let them know that we've got it and everything's fine, um, and uh, and that we would just figure it out. 
And luckily, we did and continued to just go with it. So I would say looking back, um, maybe, maybe if I w would have stopped for a moment and been okay with turning away some of the business just to stop the noise to really think like, what should we do? Mm -hmm. Maybe that would have been helpful, but um, but I mean, what the what the heck? We just kind of <laughs> continue going with the flow to see where we are. So mm -hmm. we've talked to a number of people who started brands right around then. Mm -hmm. And of course, this isn't a new brand necessarily, but sort right. of a new offshoot for brand. Just getting started, like you see, just open your tasting room. You have one season mm -hmm. in the books, and so how has the sort of brand recognition or brand growth gone? How do you feel? Uh, people are aware of the space and how do you feel like it's grown in the last few years? Yeah, it definitely, well, it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of a challenging question. So it's definitely grown because we came from nothing. nothing. <laughs> so, so that's been nice. <laughs> We've seen growth. Um, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, in the beginning of the project, um, when I was doing like some trade tastings, uh, everyone knew of Resonance. So everyone on the market knows of Resonance because they know of Jadot. And so that was really neat for me. I'm like, oh, this brand is just gonna take right off. It's gonna be fantastic. But then at consumer tastings, um, consumer events, nobody knew of Resonance. So Resonance is, you know, another tasting room, another brand amongst a thousand, I mean, in this, in this area. So, um, the local community I found wasn't making the connection to Jadot, so we couldn't exactly just fly on those hotels. So, um, which is okay also because, you know, the idea here is that Resonance will stand on its own two feet. It doesn't necessarily need to be Jadot, Jadot, Jadot. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I had great challenges. Um, and this project also, because of Jadot, um, you know, the wines have been made since 2013. And, um, there, we have a decent export program that's been going on for several years, and they're nationwide, which has been going on for several years. So the company itself is, is kind of almost backwards from like a traditional company where usually you would start with like your consumer and unfold and unfold. Well, we are now, we're already in 30 countries, and we've, you know, just launching our consumer experience mm -hmm. and starting our wine club and the events and what that all looks like. Um, so I've had my work cut out for me for sure um, to um, be a newer brand on the block, if you will, also pretty far removed. So I mean, you have to want to come here, um, being the Sprout and Carlton. Um, but um, as people are coming, I mean, it's, it is very similar, like the early Stoller days where mm -hmm. it's the word of mouth. I mean, so many folks, are referred here or they've heard about us or they're starting to see us in some publications. Um, I was looking to bring on a PR agency probably, it probably was in 2020, um, where I was talking to a couple different firms and starting to look at what that would look like. Um, and at the time, talking to him about, you know, we need to focus on crisis recovery. Like, how do we come out of COVID and, um, and as a new brand? And then I just continued pushing it, pushing it, thinking we can't hire an agency yet when we don't know if we can even be open because it was just so, so unpredictable. Um, so we finally, finally uh, hired one um, just maybe a couple months ago. And so I'm very excited to see um, what they can do in regards of, um, you know, just the power to bring people here and to get that recognition more and more for resonance being resonance, not just assuming that it's, uh, you know, mm -hmm. a project of Jadot. So. 
Um, let's talk about the industry then a little bit uh, in general and sort of the, the changes you've seen, the growth you've seen in Oregon Wine. Obviously, you, you've been in it for a good, a good amount of time now. What are the biggest changes you've seen and, and what does sort of the Oregon wine industry look like to you right now in 2022? Oh, that's what I want. <laughs> um, some of the biggest changes I've seen, I suppose, would be, um, I guess, more and more uh, customer experience and elevated experiences. Um, in my earlier days in this industry, it was pretty cut and dry of just you visit a tasting room, you taste the wines, you leave. Um, and now I think people, the entire industry is becoming more and more innovative on you know what these experiences look like. Um, whether it's hiking or you know food elements or um, education. Um, but I think in general, you know people are after just that experience. Um, I did a study a couple years ago. Um, on just Oregon, on is, uh, where tourists are going, and Central Oregon was number one. So that was the number one places, the number one place that people are visiting when they come to Oregon, and the Willamette Valley was number two. Um, so then it had me wondering, like, what, what's in Central Oregon? Clearly, Bend, um, and Bend has everything experience. I mean, had the hiking and biking and skiing. I mean, breweries, just everything, and so you know, how do we create that here in the valley as well? So on top of just wine tasting. Can there be more outdoor experience? Can there be music, or um, you know, again, hiking, or just how do we continue to create? Um, and I think that that is that has been happening over the last several years. I think the industry has shifted toward, um, and you know, not not to take away from farming and winemaking, because it's incredibly important. Um, but I think it was more so about the farming and winemaking, and now it's become about the on-site experience with the product. Um, and so I've seen a lot of that, which I think is welcomed. I think it's fantastic. There's also re resistance, of course. Um, I mean, you know, there's the, I'm sure we've all heard, like, we don't want to turn into Napa or Disneyland or, or what have you. Um, but uh, no, I think people have really jumped on board to, challenge ourselves and see what we can put out there. All right, I'm going to back up for a second because I remember yeah. the question I was going to okay. ask. Your current role. Yeah. Tell me your current about your current role here yeah. and sort of day-to-day, uh, -day, week to week, month to month. What is it you do? Oh gosh. Um, my current role, so my title is Director of Consumer Sales and Marketing. Um, what that means um, is just a little bit of everything. So again, it's very startup here. Um, so <laughs> when I when I was at Stoller, I was at a place where I was I really was directing traffic um, and just kind of helping and guiding. And when I came onto Resonance, I'd forgotten um, the execution piece. And so you know I found myself writing those marketing emails or actually processing the wine club and. Um, and having to relearn how to do <laughs> those pieces because I hadn't done them in years. I mean, it's been a very long time. And so um, so there's those pieces. So we're still very small here. So when you look at the consumer sales department, uh, myself, of course, and then we have a tasting room supervisor. Um, and then we have like two full-time tasting room sales associates and then some support staff. So that's it. Um, so we will get to a point where we bring on you know, the events person, the wine clippers and so on and so forth. Um, but I kind of see 
I've always kind of seen this department, this whole direct sales channel is like a rubber band and so it's like right now we can do it, we can do it all and when we get to a point where we don't have that slack, we need to hire somebody else and just kind of continue to grow that way but what can we take on and really learn and and just maximize our, ourselves. Um, so my day-to-day -day is across the board. Um, so I'm certainly not a desk jockey by any means. I'm always late to reply to an email. Um, <laughs> um, but again, I will get everything done. So it's, it's just something that we'll do. Um, but we're, um, so again, I, I work with this new PR agency that we brought on, which is fantastic. Um, I handle all of our media samples that go out to journalists, um, our trade tastings that we do help create the experiences that we host here for our consumer program. Um, and uh, we are in beginning stages of um, building a new tasting room. Oh wow! So yeah, so we are um, a second second tasting room. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So resonance, um, resonance. So the resonance vineyard um, is a forty-year-old vineyard that's twenty acres. That's just through the tree line over here. Um, when the French team came about, that was the original plantation that they purchased um, in 2013 and then a couple years later this land that we're on right now this is about 200 acres so they purchased this land um, and then there's another property over in the Dundee Hills um, small 18 acre property that was purchased in 2014 um, and then we recently acquired another property over in the Eola Amity Hills and so we're currently looking I'm working with a contractor right now um, on finding the septic tank. I mean, literally, the, the things that, <laughs> I do all sorts of random things, but um, but that's for the project that's over in the Dundee Hills. So mm -hmm. the idea is we will build a, a tasting room about this size, so mm -hmm. a really small little tasting room over there um, that would showcase the wines coming off of that property, and then of course, maybe one or two Resonance um, bottlings. Mm -hmm. um, so that will keep me very busy over the next, uh, year as it unfolds um, and very much like this project I mean I would wake up at 3 a.m. changing my mind on the paint color so I have my work cut out as far as all of that um, finding all the furnishings yada yada so so my days are, are busy but there um, there's really not a, a a framework around what it looks like so I was still trying to catch off. Sounds like it suits you pretty well. It does. Mm -hmm. It does, yeah. And I think, you know, honestly, maybe even coming from the restaurant industry, it's like it takes a certain blood type to kind of need that chaotic you know, uh, energy around you to, mm -hmm. to really know how to compartmentalize it, sort it out, and push forward. So we talked about you've talked quite a bit about obviously uh, COVID and it, it's the, all the ramifications for you and your work here. So um, as the industry comes out of it, uh, what do you see for the next couple of years in Oregon wine? What what is it going to look like from a hospitality perspective? What is it going to look like from a tourism perspective? What are you kind of foreseeing going into the summer and, and coming into the next year? Um, I I foresee challenges um, right now today. Um, and this year just with staffing. So I don't, I don't totally understand that. I would love to crack the code on what is holding people back from working um, or what's, what we're not saying about our brands that are attracting um, people to come back to work. Um, or maybe is it, you know, again, is it now 
in, in industry, the entertainment and hospitality industry, is it now an industry that isn't seven days a week? Mm -hmm. I mean, does it have this pause during the day or does it have a pause during the week? And I don't know. And I hope not um, because, again, as I mentioned, if we can, we should. So I, I want to be open every day um, for the people that want to come out on a Tuesday versus a Saturday. But, um, but I don't know. There is some, some uncertainty there. Um, so I do think that we will have our challenges moving into the near future. Um, and um, I, just, I honestly just wish the best that we find our cadence that makes sense for, for us so we still continue to grow. I think the, um, the wine boards that are out there, the Willamette Valley Winery Association and the Oregon Wine Board, they're doing a lot of work that they just continue to, to pull data and, and give data. And even just the, um, you know, from a standpoint of offering um, leads on these journalists are looking for these wines. I mean, they're, they're really great partnerships there um, to really work with to grow as an industry. Um, and again, Oregon, I can't say it enough, there's so, such a collaborative effort that um, I think that's imperative um, to move forward is that we do lean on each other still and that we feel vulnerable just kind of saying what's working and what's not. Um, and so fortunately, I, I mean, this industry, I, there, there's tons of that, tons mm -hmm. of people just really working with one another, knowing that we're all after the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I know at the end of the day, it'll, it'll all work out and it'll be fine, but um, yeah, I guess I don't know what, I don't know what's in store for this summer, mm -hmm. um, but I hope into the future that we kind of uh, get grounded a little bit and uh, move forward. And that people want to work here again. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just weird. It's like, you know, when I hear this, like industry-wide, and it's every industry too, so it's not just us, but um, I mean, even wine jobs, like you place an ad, it's $175 to place an ad, and you get like four applicants. Mm -hmm. and, and oftentimes those applicants really wouldn't have any experience, which I think is okay too. I mean, we've talked about, it's like maybe we just need to hire, you know, a, a new group of people and just kind of start from ground zero on everything, just general service standards and wine knowledge and give it a go. So, I mean, this industry had to start somewhere and it probably was then there, so, or there then. Um, so perhaps it's just kind of time to let history repeat itself and start from ground zero. That would be a very interesting experiment. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, what about what comes next for you? Uh, what are you looking forward to sort of personally, professionally here at Resonance and, and beyond? Yeah, so um, so we'll see what comes about. But, um, uh, you know, I'm very interested um, to see what continues to unfold with Resonance. Um, I, I don't think my work will be done here for several years um, because as I mentioned, just kind of the every day that I have is, is very, very different. Um, and so it'll be a while before I hang my hat here. Um, and I hope that when that day comes, I've positioned everything in a place for someone to take on and of course adapt, but create it to be their own. Um, but I, I'm so, I'm in such a cool company and position right now on you know the beginning of all of this that again as I mentioned Jadot has run for 180 years. I get to be part of the beginning of this project for many, many years to come. And so um, I'm gonna give it my honest whole self uh, in doing everything I can to frame it up, 
to where it will be successful for 180 years. So I've got some, some shoes to fill. Um, and then personally, um, you know, we've learned during COVID as well that I mean, staffing's been hard, but also recipe is huge. Mm -hmm. And so we're just starting to think about, you know, different opportunities that maybe we would have to open another smaller location. Um, and, uh, or maybe it's just time to branch out and, and look at, you know, what, what, what does McMinnville have? I mean, we haven't really been there. We love McMinnville, but we've never opened anything there. Mm -hmm. So, um, so we're starting to look at a lot of different possibilities and getting very excited about different things that we can start putting into place, hopefully mm -hmm. in 2023. <laughs> so yeah, make it through this summer and see where we are, but look at a, look at next year and give it a go. Once the new tasting room's open here, then of course we need to keep life nice and shaken up and <laughs> start another project. So. No time to rest on any laurels. No. Where, mm -hmm. yeah, next, <laughs> Not next at thing. all. Not at all. I love that. Yeah. So obviously, just with the caveat we've talked about staffing being difficult right mm -hmm. now, but uh, if you were, if someone were to ask you about being on the sort of sales, marketing, um, hospitality side of the wine industry, what would your advice be or words of wisdom to them be for kind of breaking in? Um, I, gosh, I don't know. I guess just, um, just listen to your intuition, I guess. Like every brand is different. So when it comes to marketing, um, I mean, every brand is different. Uh, I would recommend um, believing in it, of course, um, and just being a true brand guardian um, of it. Um, you know, being responsible for the marketing sometimes. You have um, people coming at you from different areas saying we need this or we should do this or what if we did this and, you know, if you, let sales drive marketing or accounting drive marketing. I mean, it's you, you ha marketing has to drive marketing. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, um, I think really being a brand guardian and really knowing what that brand feels like and internally just believing in it, um, you'll do the right thing. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, yeah, just being protective of your brand, which can be a challenge while you're trying to make everyone happy with all the collaterals they need, mm -hmm. but. <laughs> All right. All the questions that I have Perfect. for you. Anything I didn't ask that I should have? Anything we didn't cover? I don't think so. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time, for sharing this beautiful space with us. And so you guys enjoy some of your hospitality here. And we'll go ahead and let you off the hook. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all our supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have helped make our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you from the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University. With a very special thank you to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.